All right, good morning again, church. It's good to see everyone here today. Before we get started, I'd like to open in a word of prayer. Let's commit this time to the Lord. Father God, thank you again and again and again. Thank you, thank you, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. I thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to be up here, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, that during this time, Lord God, that it would not be in my own strength, Lord God, but you through me. I would merely merely be your instrument, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, for teaching me. And as I desire to share what you've revealed to me, Lord God, illuminated to me, Lord God, that it would encourage and bless others, Lord God. So, Father, thank you again for your word. I thank you for what your spirit is going to do in each individual life in this pew, Lord God. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we take a, a little break from uh, Ephesians uh, this week and, and next as pastors away. Uh, obviously, I'm here today. John will be filling in uh, next week. But just to go back a little bit to Ephesians uh, chapter 2, it kind of got, you know, God led me to this as I was preparing uh, for today. Ephesians chapter 2, it's not going to come, come up on the screen, but I'll read it for you. Verses 1 and 2, we read, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And it just made me think, now is today. The prince of the power of the air, we know, is the evil one. And it's a reality that we must acknowledge, and I think we all do. But if some of you were like me, may have a tendency to become complacent. And, okay, God says, well, this is going to happen, so let it happen. But it's like, okay, God, but what am I supposed to do here? What is my, yes, I'm to glorify you. Yes, I'm to grow in knowledge of who you are. Yes, I am your workmanship created for your purposes, Lord God. And the Word of God also tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, right? This is supernatural. When Jesus explained to the disciples In John 14, that he would leave and the Holy Spirit would come in his place. He gave this warning in chapter 14, verse 30. Jesus says this, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has no claim on me. Jesus also, again, warned his disciples and us today, later in chapter 16 of the Gospel of John, verse 33, It was mentioned earlier by the praise team in the world. You will have tribulation. You will have tribulation. You will have pressure. We will have trouble. We will have persecution. And Jesus says, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Brothers and sisters, we encounter the difficulties of this life. Relationships, death, sickness. These are all a result of sin. Not necessarily Satan. But we do face pressure and trouble caused by the evil one. And these tribulations are spiritual warfare. Again, it's in a different realm. I'm not talking about when your your car breaks down or your water heater breaks. Those are trials. Those are tribulations. But those are not attacks of the evil one. So that's what I want to talk a little bit about today. As a Christian, we are faced with, the, with this continuous warfare because we have given ourselves 
to the service of our God. Amen. And we can learn from Paul's letter that we are equipped just as he was. The Bible teaches us that we can overcome because Jesus did. And because we have been given all we need, right, Peter says, for life and godliness. In this part of his letter, Paul explaining to the Corinthians how to combat and defend against what's being taught as truth. That's what we're going to look at today. How to combat against what is taught as truth, but in fact is not truth. So if you would stand, we're going to read today's text in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5. The Word of God says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You may be seated. I believe that we all understand that the enemy and his power are far greater than our own ability to make a defense against him. And Paul tells us that the weapons of our warfare, the weapons of our defense, are not of the flesh. What he means is that they, they are not limited to our own thinking. They are not limited to our own strength. Nor are they limited to our own wisdom. But rather, Paul says, we have weapons of divine power. They are able to destroy what is raised against us. There are three weapons, I believe, that we have been given that I'd like to talk about. These weapons are designed to be used as an offensive, not as defensive. They are ineffective unless we employ them, right? Unless we use them. So I've titled today's message, Be on the Offensive. Not be offensive, but be on the offensive. Our weapons that Paul is referring to, I believe, are faith, prayer, and the Word of God, Scripture. Employing, we're going to look at today three three things I want to bring out. Employing the preeminent work of God, employing the present work of Christ, and employing the Word of God. The first one is employing faith in the preeminent work of God, right? God has already done something, but do we have faith in that? Are we employing our faith in that? The work of God is based upon God's sovereignty from before the foundation of the world, First Peter said, right? God had foreordained his plan to save mankind, to save men. While God's purpose was determined in eternity, his work is performed through time. This is salvation, right? Through the redemption of man. God, the creator of all things living, by default, has supreme authority over all creation. Amen? 1 Peter 5.8, again, a familiar verse. Peter tells us, he warns us, be sober-minded. He says, be watchful. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We must always be vigilant and ready. And like you've heard so many times from this 
pulpit. What that means is that we have to know God. We have to know His Word, right? Know the Bible, and then you'll know that God is the supreme authority. As we trust His Word and walk in obedience, we can rest in our great shepherd. He is a great shepherd, amen? He provides, He protects, He fights for us, amen? He is the great shepherd. We learn from the book of Job that this lion Peter is referring to is on a leash, so to speak. Job chapter 1, verse 12, And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Again, we know God told him, You can do whatever you want, but just don't take his life. But Satan couldn't do anything then, nor can he do anything today apart from what God would permit him to do. Amen? That is true then and is true today. And if we've realized is that God also uses evil to accomplish his good purposes. We think of the evil that was at work to crucify our Savior. Amen? God used that for the ultimate good. Satan was created by God. So again, let us stand, let us lay hold of that verse that we've heard so many times in this church in Colossians 1.16. For by him, by God, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Amen. We clearly see that example. In Paul's letter to Corinth, again, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. Paul writes, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Again, we all know God was, God's purpose was to keep Paul humble, that he would be dependent on God and not his own ways, his own thinking, his own way of doing things. And... I don't, I don't want to, I think, I think sometimes we give the evil one too much credit. And I, I don't want to do that from this pulpit either. But I do want to acknowledge the truth. We talk about, oh, demon possession and all this. And, you know, oh, my car broke down. Satan's really attacking me. No, he got, Satan did not break your car down and, and, and attacking you. Okay? Your car just broke down. All right, and, and now trust God for the wisdom and, and, and the provision uh, to fix it. But in the rare occasion of, of demonic possession, we see it in Scripture that even Satan's servants recognize the preeminence of God. After, uh, after Jesus calmed the waves, uh, he and the disciples landed their boat at the Gerasene where Jesus encountered legion. Right? That's in the Gospel of Mark. We're told that no one could bind him any longer. When Legion is confronted with Jesus, Mark records this in chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. 
And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Eventually, Jesus gave them permission, right, we know, to go into the swine, and they ran into the water. But in that passage, again, we're told that no one was able to bind Legion. No one was able to bind him. Because Satan is not subject to man, but to God. Because he is his creation. God's preeminence was not made known to those demonic forces at that time, at the Gerasene. They already knew, and they acted accordingly. God's preeminence. The weapon of faith in God's power and God's authority, again, the weapon of faith is rooted in God's sovereignty. Pastor mentioned last week during his sermon, he used that word rooted, right? Rooted and foundation. And when we think of rooted, we think of a, of a tree or a plant. And we actually discussed it at community group, how those roots go deep down and that's, it gets its, the plant would get its nourishment from something, right? That's what sustains it. That has to be our faith. Our faith has to have deep roots to God, to his preeminent authority. Is your faith rooted in the preeminence of God? Is what you believe, is your faith based on God and his authority over his creation? I mean, stop and consider that for a little while. Again, we're like we read in Colossians. Everything was made by him, through him, and for him. He has complete say over everything that is made. Do you and I as believers believe? Do we act on God's preeminent work? So that's the first one. The secondly, being on the offensive involves employing prayer in the present work of Christ. Employing prayer in the present work of Christ. What is Christ's impact on this spiritual warfare? Well, we read in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This is the present purpose of Jesus Christ. He always lives to make intercession for you and I. How is Jesus making intercession for you and I? Again, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 24, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. In the presence of God, He is our mediator, our reconciler, who is interceding, who is acting on your and my behalf that we receive God's forgiveness. Amen? This is His present work. And as He does this present work, that we will be mindful of it, Prayer is what connects us with Christ's intercessory purpose, I believe. We don't move the hand of God. We don't change his mind. This is what Jesus is already doing. Prayer helps you and I to separate ourselves from what's going on here, from what's happening here, right? Onto the Lord. Prayer aligns us with God. Prayer will instill in us 
Well, it should instill. Well, it will if we do pray. Instill in us confidence and courage in the present work of Christ, which supersedes anything or anyone else. As I pray, during our community group this past Friday, it, the discussion came about about prayer. Someone brought up that how they, they need to improve in their reading. And, and sometimes when they read, they don't quite understand exactly everything that's in the Word. But they know when they pray. They know when they pray, like we heard today in Sunday school, that the Spirit intercedes and that God hears us and God understands. Okay, now there's a reverent way. There's, I believe there's a way we approach God, but not that it doesn't matter what we say, but we don't have to think we have the right words. We have God's Spirit. Amen? So as we pray, as we press in, as we align ourselves and we consider that, that Christ and, the, and God's Spirit is, is, a, is saying what needs to be said exactly the way God needs to hear it, if I could say it that way, all right? That Christ is in the presence of God on our behalf. We don't have to worry about how we say it or... God's gonna, God knows. God already knows our heart, right? How many times have you prayed and maybe you don't want to say something and I actually say to myself, well, I might as well pray about this because God already knows. It's in, it's in my heart. It's in my thoughts. But prayer will instill in us the confidence and courage in the present work of Christ. Also, in the finished work of Christ, we are the beneficiaries of His present work as protector. Right? He is our protector. He is our great shepherd. God preserves His people for his sake, until that final day when Jesus returns and God creates the new heaven and the new earth. And we see it all throughout Scripture. We see in Joshua 1.5, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Just as I, just as I was with Moses, God said to Joshua, God's presence went with him just as it was with Moses. And in Exodus, God said to Moses, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So again, God gave Moses everything he needed. God guided him. God gave him wisdom. He's going to be with Joshua the same way. It's going to be with you and I. He was with Isaac in Genesis 26.3. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you for to you and to your offspring. I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. God's presence goes with us. It went with Jacob in Genesis 31.3. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Jesus said in John 10, verses 27 to 28, My sheep... Right? You and I, we are his possession. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When we follow Jesus, we are in his protection. Amen? We are under his protection. Because he is the great shepherd. He protects us. He watches over. Follow me, and I, give, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will ever snatch you out of his hand. And later in the Gospel of John, Jesus prays again the priestly prayer for the Father's protection to cover us. In John 17, verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them 
from the evil one. Not that you take them out of the world, but that you stay. How many of us would rather say, Jesus, take me now? Now, we had this discussion with the men's group, right? About groaning, and it's amazing how God seems to weave all this together. You know, not that we want to die, but we're not, we're not afraid to die. We're okay where God has us. What God does is best. If, if, if God, if Jesus said, keep them here, God watch over them, that has to be good enough for us. And I don't want to say good enough to sell anything, sure. But who else to protect us but God? Well, God always knows best, right? So it is best that we remain in the world and protected from evil rather than to be removed from it. Again, we heard the verse today, Romans 8, 28. All things work out for good for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? How about what Jesus had prayed for Peter in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32? Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Jesus is praying for you and I right now. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Jesus is praying that our faith will not fail. Our faith in God's preeminence. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. We have our ups and downs, right? We have our ups and downs. So when we come up again, right? And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. Encourage your brothers. Give me the glory. Peter would have opposition from Satan, but Jesus promises him the victory, just like he promises us the victory. Right? I have overcome the world. Jesus prayed before it even began. He's praying for what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes for you and I. Notice that Jesus did not pray for his circumstances, but for Peter's faith. What a tremendous thing to think on. He prayed for us to remain here, but at the same time he's praying that our faith would be strengthened and grow deeper and rooted in God. He's praying that our faith would be strong and that it will not fail. That is so awesome just to consider. Believers believe in the present work of Christ. Believe in the present work of Christ. And third, we are to be on the offensive. Being on the offensive involves employing the sword of the Spirit, right? The truth of Scripture. We just got through with VBS, right, a few weeks ago and the armor of God, and that was the only uh, weapon of offense, right? Everything else was defensive, right? The sword that we are to wield is the true word of God that cuts down and disables the attacks of the enemy. In Matthew 4, uh, we, we're familiar with the account of Jesus being led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and being tempted by Satan. Jesus plainly and simply, what did he do? He employed scripture. He didn't argue. I don't think he yelled. He just, well, this is the truth. This is what God tells me about your lie. Amen? Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing to the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, the word in this verse here used uh, for word, okay, the word of God, that word is rima, which refers to individual words or particular statements. It's not talking about general knowledge of Scripture, but it is emphasizing the precision, okay, that comes with a knowledge and understanding of specific truths. Like you've heard so many times and you'll continue to hear from this pulpit, doctrine matters. The truth of God is what's important. Just like Jesus did in the wilderness, we need to use specific scriptural truths to counter specific satanic falsehoods and ideologies. This weapon, the word, is perfect. It's lacking nothing. It doesn't need any maintenance. It doesn't need any software upgrades since it will never, ever, ever be obsolete. As Isaiah said in in chapter 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Amen. Amen. In 2 Corinthians, our text for today, Paul stated that this weapon destroys. Okay? What does it do? It destroys. What that means is to do away with, to eliminate, to cause to cease. Satan knows he's lost the war. We, we, we sang it earlier. Right? The end game has been secured. We know the end game. But he will continue raising obstacles in our path, like the systems that make us want to give up or go a different way, the way of the world, that we will grow weary and tired and give up on God's promises and just say, oh, it's so much, it's so much easier if I, if I just move this decimal point on my income tax and then I wouldn't have to pay or whatever it might be for you. He wants us to give up. He knows he's lost the war. In Ephesians, Paul wrote in the sixth chapter, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul referred to the forces at work as rulers, authorities, powers, spiritual forces. This one commentary, I think it was John MacArthur, just to sum it up. I don't want to spend too much time, but these are, are powerful spiritual beings that make up the power of the air. Right? I don't want to spend too much time on that, but just to kind of sum up what those are. Those rulers, those those powerful spiritual beings, the power of the air, they are what's behind those who are setting up fortresses. Right? Paul says that we would destroy fortresses, that we would destroy strongholds. They are the ones setting those up. You see, the fortresses we are facing are the ideologies, the systems 
which are propagated in our society through the media and the government. Now, I don't want to get political. I don't want to think I'm some conspiracy theorist. But as you study this word, as you look at it, this is the reality. And we need to look at what's happening today through a biblical lens. And not to be discouraged, but be encouraged. Right? Not to be discouraged at all. Oh, this is all supposed to happen. Amen. This is all supposed to happen. But what am I supposed to do? Just as Paul did. Destroy these strongholds. Destroy these fortresses. The fortresses we destroy or eliminate, Paul mentions, again in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, our text, as arguments and lofty opinions raised against the knowledge of God. Paul is talking about all things that oppose the truth of our holy God of Scripture. That word arguments means way of reasoning, plan. These arguments, they are, they are reasoned thoughts. They are well thought out ideas. And as they, they think through them, they implement these ideas and these plans. They make plans. So this will come up a little later on. We'll go back to that. We destroy lofty opinions. What that, what that means is arrogance or posturing. See, Paul at that time was referring to the leaders, okay? Paul wrote this letter. I've already told you why you listen to these people. Why, what, what the leaders were doing at that time were saying, basically, look at me, right? I mean, you're following Paul, this weakling, this ugly guy, this poor guy. Well, look, at, look at how prosperous I am. Look how powerful, look how handsome I am. Look at, look at me. Instead of saying, looking at Christ. That's why he writes this. So Paul's referring to the leaders who made themselves proud obstacles to the truth. And it's a result, and it, it, its result, okay, is an unbiblical order of thinking that is promoted as truth. All right, you might see where I'm going. Do away with that we, you know, the, again, to, to the, the lofty opinions, right? To, to do away with that we not subscribe to them while at the same time not being afraid to oppose them. That, that is why we're given these weapons. That is how we destroy them, to do away with them. All right? Not that we argue with people, not that we fight with people, but not that we let them infiltrate our lives, infiltrate the body of Christ. But we just do away with them and don't subscribe to them. We're all well aware of the person or persons who are raising the arguments and lofty opinions, those fortresses, those strongholds. Paul mentioned them in Romans. It's the unregenerate person. Romans chapter 1, 18 to 25. I think it's important to read it. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. 
But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So here's my little editorial. So these are the people who raise arguments and opinions. Those who exchange the truth about God. Who suppress the truth by propagating a message of sin is okay when it feels good or when it feels like the right thing to do. This is the fortress they build. In reality, this is the stronghold that they hide behind so they can feel safe and secure. And we are not far removed from that. Amen, church? We were once like them. Earlier I mentioned the arguments. Again, these are the systems that are well thought out. They seem logical, at least from a pagan perspective. And unfortunately, they've begun to subtly creep into the church. We see it all over. I praise God that not here, but we see it. And we need to pray for other churches. And we need to use these weapons. Again, not to be argumentative, but just like Jesus did. Well, this is what God says. That's all. You do it the way you want. This is what God says. Same-sex marriage. Well, some of you, I hope no one here, but some people in the church may say, well, what's wrong with it? Well, it's not marriage. Marriage was instituted by God. And according to his covenant definition, it's not a civil union. It's not a same-sex partnership. But they want to give it the name marriage because it makes it legal. And it entitles them to certain benefits that married couples are granted. But at the same time, if we call it marriage... What's the church going to do? Well, a church that follows God is going to say, we're not going to marry you. So now what happens? That church, that pastor, is labeled as intolerant. They're labeled as the one who discriminates and can be charged in some areas of this country with hate speech. The same is true of someone who simply opposes a same-sex relationship. They are labeled as intolerant, discriminatory people. This sensitive issue of today was designed and planned. It was a, it's an argument, right? To, really to come against the church when you think about it. When you look at it for all it is, it was designed to come against the church, which the reason for that is because the church supports the family unit. And the church seeks to strengthen families so that we would would take God's order, right, to be fruitful and multiply. That we would build his kingdom. That he would build his kingdom through families. That the gospel will go forward, causing people to be faced with a decision to repent and be saved or suppress it 
and pass laws like fortresses and strongholds, shutting up those who speak truth so that they don't feel bad about their sin. I'm not saying we need to speak truth to, com- to combat the culture. Because like we know, the Word of God tells us it's, it's going to get worse. It's getting worse. Right? What I'm saying is the preaching of God's Word is the method He instituted for the preservation of His chosen people. It preserves the saints who must be on the offense of guarding against the subtle untruths infiltrating the body of Christ. Oh, we just want to love people. Well, love, love them with truth. It's not that, you don't, that we hate people or certain, you know. We love them. This preservation method of preaching truth destroys fortresses. Saying, saving his chosen that may be behind those fortresses. Let me say that again. This preservation method, again, the weapons, speaking God's truth, having faith in God's preeminence, having faith in the present work of Christ and, and, and wielding the sword of the Spirit. Again, this preservation method of preaching the truth destroys fortresses. And what about some of those people that are hiding behind those fortresses? Could they be God's chosen too? You and I were. We once hid behind them. Amen? Because proclaiming the word of God is is important. Because faith comes by hearing the word of God. Once people hear and God saves his own, then the fortress comes down. And they can respond to Jesus when he says in Matthew chapter 11, 28 to 30, Come to me all labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. They don't have to hide anymore. So, we are to destroy that which is raised up against the knowledge of God. We are not simply to believe all that we're told, right? Paul encouraged Corinth and us today to rest in what we know about God. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5, so that your faith might not rest or remain, right? in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. John MacArthur says this, Spiritual warfare is not a battle with demons. It is a battle for the minds of people who are captive to lies and are exalted in opposition to Scripture. He said it so perfectly. Christianity, as we hear Pastor Eric say many times, is a thinking religion. It involves our minds. Those lies which are being exalted, again, originate with Satan. They come through men who are fueled by their selfish desires, who invoke their ideologies through media and law. Just as Paul directed them in his other letter not to rely on human understanding and abilities, but rather the power and knowledge of God, Paul tells us we succeed as we take every thought captive to obey Christ. 
as we are bombarded with these subtle ideologies that oppose God, we must be careful not to slip into them, to accept them or agree with them, or just even ignore them. This subtlety occurs when those making the rules begin changing definitions or terminologies so that they directly oppose biblical truths. For example, abortion is now referred to as reproductive health care. That's not what God says. God says it's murder. Or the sexual orientation and gender identity curriculums that are creeping into our schools. Right? God tells us, no, that he created man in his own image. He created them both male and female. These ideologies are allowed because people just, like I said earlier, they just agree with what they hear. It's just easier sometimes. They agree with what, what's, what they're being told. When, even when they say that the children are their children, not our children. Well, technically, biblically, they're not ours. They're God's, right? They're not their children. Again, what, is, what, is the, what does the sword say in Psalm 127? Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Don't tell me my children aren't mine. You're right, but they're not yours. They're God's. Even something is, I think, I think maybe we've, be, we've become numb to it too, is uh, the teaching of evolution. You know, there was a time when, at least I know in, in Woodridge, when our boys were in school, one teacher told half a year on evolution and half a year on creationism because he said people have two different positions. So I'm going to teach you a little bit about both. I thought that was fair. I thought that was a, a good thing he did. But they teach evolution. They teach it as fact. And I think we've just kind of ignored that for a while. But what does God's word say? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we have the days of creation. One or some of these and perhaps other ideologies may have crept into your mind. And the more you hear the logical arguments, the well-reasoned positions, or maybe even the benefits that come from some of them, the easier they, bec- they become to swallow, the number we can become, the more desensitized the church. When Paul says that we must approach those who build fortresses this way by taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, that is how we are to address those ideologies. The effective weapon Paul wants us to use again here is his word, also known as the sword of the Spirit. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing as study and, you know, the sword of the Spirit, God's word. And that word captive means taking prisoner. All right? Taking a prisoner to actually to take captive with a spear. That's funny how that double-edged sword has a point. Amen? Is it funny? No? I think God just... Puts everything together. And we are to use God's word, the truth, to destroy fortresses. 
Jeremiah records this in chapter 23, verse 29. Does not my word burn like fire, says the Lord? Is, not, it is, is it not like a mighty hammer that smashes a rock to pieces? Amen. Thereby bringing us into obedience to Christ. Again, those strongholds, those ideologies, when we take God's word and put it head to head with those things, it smashes them. It demolishes them. They do not exist. Those lofty opinions and arguments cannot stand. Amen? Amen. Only the word of God can destroy them. And causing those that are hiding behind them to be called to repentance. We stand firm in the Lord as we grow in the understanding of what God has done, of what Christ is doing, and what we've been given. As we grow, we also must walk in the preeminent work of God, the present work of Christ, and the proclaiming of His Word. We also have the enabling. The enabling of God's Spirit and the fellowship. Maybe not, ass, maybe not weapons, but assets. The Holy Spirit, again, to walk or live by the Spirit of God. Reminder, Galatians 5.16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Continually being directed by Him, so that we grow and move forward in our relationship with the Lord and in a better understanding of who God is. Ephesians 5.18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Again, that we remind ourselves to be controlled by God's Spirit, not by our emotions, what might feel good or what seems right. And then we have the fellowship of the saints, another great asset. We have each other, amen? Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another on Sundays. No. Yes, right? But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by what? The deceitfulness of sin those lofty opinions, those arguments, those strongholds, those fortresses that are being presented before us. Exhort, exhort someone today and tomorrow and every day that God gives you. Amen? That's a challenge I want to take up. With encouragement, we are called to strengthen each day, each one, day after day. Why? Really, otherwise, left to ourselves, we will give in to the temptation of sin, right? As, as that verse tells us, and we'd be hardened by it. Fellowship is the arena where encouragement flourishes. And one final verse, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Believers, believe in the preeminent work of God. Believe in the present work of Christ. Believe in the power of God's word. 
And when I say believers believe, I encourage, exhort you to employ them. To employ them with confidence and, and courage for God's glory. Ultimately, it's God's glory. And like I said, these, these ideologies that are, that are before us, they're, they're going to increase. But you and I, like I mentioned, you and I one time hid behind them. So it's not that we're arguing them. We're just saying this is what God says. And who knows, maybe some people that are hiding behind them, that God would draw them by his spirit and by the power of his word. Amen? Amen. It's a narrow gate. But it's, it's good that we know it and that we seek those that are on the wider path to join us in that narrow road. Let's pray. Father God, thank you once again for your word. Thank you, Lord God, for... Lord, just for me, Lord God, to, to understand better, Lord God, that you, uh, the equipment that you give us, Lord God, you give us weapons. Lord, you give us what we need for life and godliness, Lord. So help us, Lord God, to be mindful of your preeminence, to be mindful of the present work of our Savior, to be mindful and grow in the knowledge of your word and that we would employ these weapons, Lord God. Not that we would boast, but that we would preserve the saints and that those that don't know you would come to know you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand. As we close in worship and praise to our God for what his word says in doxology. Let us sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.